Well, good morning, church. Hey, he is risen, is he not? Oh man, what a glorious blessing we have in Jesus Christ. We come here every Sunday morning to celebrate that story, to know that we have hope in that risen Savior, that you and I can share in the blessings that God has for us each and every day. It is a, a blessing to be with you guys this morning, the family of God, uh, as uh, we come together as a body of Christ to celebrate that empty cross, that empty tomb, uh, victory over death, and the blessings that we have in Jesus Christ. Amen. We are the family of God, and thank you for sharing that story in your life with those that you come across each and every day. We don't worship just on Sunday, we worship every day of the week, 24-7. We give him glory for all the things that we have in our life. Well, uh, it has uh, been an exciting uh, time as we've opened the children's wing, and moving toward uh, this particular day has been uh, had its challenges along the way, but we've finally reached there, and I know our kids and uh, moms and dads are going to be excited about uh, that facility and what it has to offer. Uh, we uh, are looking forward to continuing our growth as uh, God continues to bless us here at Cross Point, uh, and we just want to do everything we can to listen to his call and to be everything that we're called to be right here in Grand Prairie, following his voice wherever it may lead us. Well, we're right in the middle of a series called Love Like Jesus, and we want to be like Jesus, do we not? We want to uh, look like him, imitate him, be him in our, e in our uh, daily life. Uh, and so as we're in the middle of this uh, series, as we look at stories from the upper room, stories from the cross, uh, we're going to be reminded along the way of how Jesus was, how he loved on people, and how we're called to love on people as well. And so today, we're right in the middle of that. We'll be in John chapter 13. I hope you've got your Bibles and will turn with me there. All of our text will be on the screen uh, as well, and I'll be reading from the New Living Translation when we do get there. Uh, now, this is going to be a story that you're, 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 you're going to have heard before, uh, but we want to, to kind of shed some light on it, maybe in some different ways that you haven't thought of before. Uh, one of those ways is giving you an opportunity to share in the experience that Jesus and his disciples shared in, in that upper room with the, the foot washing. Uh, and so again, there are four stations around this room, and any time during our service, uh, any time afterwards, hang around, take someone there that you want to honor, that you want to love on, that you want to show some respect to and say thank you for what you do. It's a great way to honor them uh, in, in, in that way if you so desire uh, to, to do that. Uh, they'll be available uh, all day long for that matter. Well, I, I know as we dig into the idea of looking like Jesus, uh, we, we look at his life and there are moments when we think to ourselves, I, I can't really be Jesus. I mean, he's after all God, right? I can't, I can't do that. But we can certainly work toward imitating the type of life that he lived and how he loved on people. We look at Jesus' life and there are some things that he did in his life that we would say, you know what, I don't know about that. There are things that you've got to, points in your life when you're like, I ain't doing that. Uh, just to be honest, if you've ever said that in your life at any, any stage, any age, raise your hand if you said, yeah, I'm just not going to do that, no. Uh, it could be any number of things uh, that come across uh, your memory bank, things that you uh, may not have experienced yet but you're on your way there. I'm remembering uh, an older couple at the first church I worked at in Ponca City, Oklahoma. Uh, and uh, it was one of those moments where I was like, man, God bless you. I'm glad that that is your call to ministry. But uh, she would go around to all of the, the nursing homes and clip toenails. Yeah, you, exactly, yeah. And I think, 
you know, wow, I'm not sure that I'm called to do that, but what a servant. Someone who, who said, you know what, I'm going to serve people around me, and I'm going to do things that, that maybe others are saying, I ain't doing that. I've had, uh, in my younger life, uh, single guys who said, you know, whenever I have kids, whenever that moment happens, I ain't changing the poopy diaper. That's not, I'm not doing that. We're going to leave that to the spouse. And guess what? Today, they're changing poopy diapers. You you say that when you're not married because you don't know who actually is the boss at home. But you learn. (laughs) You learn along the way. You may need goggles. You may need a nose clip. I don't know. But it's going to happen. I'll promise you that. You you may be at your work or at a church function. You see the trash can overflowing. And you know in your heart of hearts, Jesus would probably take that trash out. But... I'm busy talking to this person, so I let someone else do that. I, I'm not going to do that. There are moments when we take mission trips to foreign countries, and you're, you're knowing that you're going to be uncomfortable if you go on that trip. There's no AC. I, I may have to, to sleep uh, on a floor. Who, who knows what's going to happen there? And you know what? I'm going I'm to save those trips for other people who are willing to do that because I'm just not willing to do that. Well, in our text this morning, in John chapter 13, we'll begin reading in verses 1 and 2 to set up. The whole story goes through verse 17. We're not going to read the whole story this morning. The first four verses will suffice for what we want to achieve today. But let's read those first two verses. Before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and return to his, his father. He had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth, and now he loved them to the very end. It was time for supper, and the devil had already prompted Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Now, Jesus and his disciples have gathered in this upper room in Jerusalem to partake of this Passover meal together. Now, we talked a lot about the Passover meal last week and kind of what all that looked like. Uh, And there was a, a moment in time where... Jesus knew exactly who in the room is going to betray me. I know what is about to go down. He knows the end is near. And I love that the text says that he loved his disciples all through his ministry, but even more so now at the end of his ministry, at the end of his life. We find ourselves in the upper room on Thursday night. But what did his week look like? If you go back and you put all four of those gospels together, you can you can kind of piece together what that week looked like. On Monday, he rides into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey and he stops at the temple and he cleanses the temple. He throws the money changers tables up in the air. He kind of cleans everything out because they're blocking the way for the Greeks to come in and worship God, those that fear and love God. And he says, my house is a house for everybody not just a selected few. That happens on Monday. On Tuesday, he has a debate with some of the religious leaders in town, uh, a debate that kind of puts them in their place. He reminds them of who they are supposed to be in God's eyes. On Wednesday, there's no real account of what happens on that particular day, but today we find ourselves in our text on Thursday. Preparations have been made all day long for this Passover meal to be celebrated together in the upper room, and that's where we find Jesus interacting with his followers. Jesus, in his final words to those that would start the church eventually, he knows that in the room is the person who is going to betray him and yet serves that person just like everyone else in the room. 
He knows because of that betrayal that the following day he is going to be beaten. He's going to be flogged near to death. He's going to be humiliated, embarrassed. He's going to be spit upon, punched in the face. He's going to be made to carry his own instrument of execution out to a hill outside of Jerusalem. And there they're going to crucify him and he will die for you and for me. And for all of the men and ladies that are in this room on this particular Thursday night. But in that moment where Jesus realized this is it. This is why I came to earth. It's just about to happen. In that moment, you can imagine all the different things going through Jesus' head. And yet, among his disciples, among his followers, an argument breaks out. Among his friends, an argument breaks out here on the last night that he's with them. Now, have, have you ever had an argument with a five-year-old? Raise your hand. Can't rationalize with those folks, can you? No, no, you can't have that cookie right now. Give that to me. How did you get that other cookie? Give me that too. No, you can't go in there. You can't watch that show. Keep your hands off that. I mean, you just keep on and on. You're just trying to corral these folks. And the disciples are acting just like that. Jesus is wanting to impart to them some wisdom, some things that they need to know for the coming days. But they're arguing about something they've argued about their entire ministry time with Jesus. Who is the greatest in Jesus' kingdom? Who's going to be number one? when it comes to Jesus and his kingdom that he is going to bring in. This heated discussion back and forth is happening. And we do that too in our own life, don't we? We contrast and compare one another, our our degrees that we may have or how long a day that we work or how long we sit in traffic or what our commute is. The list goes on and on. And in that comparison game, many times it's, it's really a one-upsmanship. I, I'm a little better because, fill in the blank. And the disciples are in that mode as well. Andrew says, I'm the best. I'm going to be the greatest in the kingdom of Jesus. And John says, no, no, no. I'm the one whom he loves. That's what my gospel says. Nathaniel says, no, no, he, he favors me. I mean, don't you notice that he tries to sit by me every time we go out to eat? I'm his favorite. Another disciple says, oh, he, he loves my post. Do you see how, many, how quickly he likes that? He hits the heart every time on the Instagram. He loves the stuff I post. And Peter says, hey, hey, all of y'all, I'm the guy that walked on water. And immediately the 11 look back at him and say, and the guy that sunk. They're going back and forth about who is the greatest in Jesus' kingdom. And Jesus looks around that room and he sees proud hearts and dirty feet. Verses 4 and 5. So Jesus got up from the table. He took off his robe, he wrapped a towel around his waist and poured water into a basin. And there he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around them. Jesus does this incredible act of 
selflessness. The disciples are having this argument, but as I said, it's been going on their whole ministry career. And what does Jesus say about being number one in my world? There's a a text in Mark chapter 9 and verse 35. And Jesus says, whoever wants to be first. Now, let's be honest here for a minute. Let's take the game day faces off. Let's just be honest. How many of us have ever wanted in any realm to be first? Raise your hand. All of us. We know what that feels like. We, we want to be number one. We want to be on top. We want to be at the top of our game. We want to be the one that everyone calls on. But Jesus in our text, he says, listen, you all want to be first. But understand in my world, whoever wants to be first must be in last place. And even more so, you must be the servant of everyone else. Sometimes I, I think we skip over that text in our own Christian walk. We fail to analyze that and let that sink into our heads and our hearts to realize what is Jesus really calling us to do here as we follow him? He says it's not about being first. When you have a heart like Jesus, when you love like Jesus, does, then you make a decision that you don't have to be first. But Jesus says, in doing so, in having a heart like that, then you become first. If you want to be a part of my world, you've got to be last and be the servant of everyone. Jesus gets up from the table because he sees proud hearts and dirty feet. He wants to teach them a lesson. What is it about washing feet in this first century anyway? I mean, what would be a comparable thing in our world today? Close, maybe not exactly, but if you came to my house, maybe I would take your coat and your umbrella if it was raining. I would uh, maybe give you a hug or a handshake or a kiss on the cheek. Or if we lived in another country, a kiss on both cheeks. I might offer you coffee or tea. Have a seat. It's hospitality. It's, It's being kind. It's being over the top realizing you're more important than me. In Jesus' world, though, every Jewish home had someone at the door to wash feet. They had a basin there with towel, and as a guest, you would come into the home, and you would begin talking to the host. You would begin taking off your shoes because you just walked in from the road, which is not paved. It's, it's full of dirt and debris and donkey dung and everything else that you've walked through on the way to that house. And the servant is in a position of humility on their knees with that water and towel and you don't even pay attention to them. They're not really worth your time because you're talking to the host of the home while you take your shoes off and get your feet washed before you enter the home. When that's dried off, you walk in to begin interacting with the host and you've not even paid attention really to the servant. They're not really in your social echelon, if you will. It's a humiliating job. It's a, it's a moment where you as a person really aren't noticed. It's reserved for the house servant or a slave. 
It was a provision, though, to offer common hospitality to the guests. But Jesus gets up from the table, and he puts on that slave apron. And he grabs a bucket of water, and he walks around that table on his knees, crawling to wash the feet of those that are following him. And the minute he does this, everyone in the room knows exactly what's going on. We forgot to get somebody to wash feet. Peter, that was your job. And everyone gasps. Not not the Messiah. Not the Son of God. Not not our rabbi. That's not his job. Can you imagine the embarrassment around the table? The leader is washing my feet. We see that later on in the story with Peter's response to to Jesus. For us, it would be like maybe walking into a room and, uh, as a young man and, and asking a, a 90-year-old woman to get up out of the seat because this is my chair. I'm going to sit here and making her stand or on the subway, a same kind of scenario would happen. Maybe it's standing in your home and allowing another adult to clean up your own child's throw-up. Maybe it would be like if it were to happen, the Queen of England coming to your house for whatever reason and upon arrival goes directly to the master bath and begins to clean the toilet. We would all gasp at any of those moments. No, that's, that's not you for you to do. That's, that's my job. That's who I've been called to be. But we look at Jesus all through the context of the gospel message and we see that he is the Son of God, the Son of Man, Emmanuel, the Anointed One, the Messiah, the Son of God, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And yet he sees a need and he serves. He does something that no one else wants to do. And you and I in our life so many times say, I ain't doing that. I'm a little too good to do that. I want to encourage you as you move forward in your life, in every moment, when you are confronted with a moment where you could serve, say yes, if it's possible. Ask the question, Lord, is this assignment something that you've designated for me to do? Am I called into service here? Should I be the one to serve? I mean, God, I I want you to give me your eyes so I can see the world like you see them. I want you to give me my ears so I can hear the stories of those who are hurting. Give me your mouth so that I can encourage those I come in contact with every day. God, give me your hands and your feet to carry the message and serve those around me. God, give me your heart. I want to be like you. I want to serve like Jesus. And a few years ago, a singer-songwriter came out with a song called Give Me Your Eyes, and he puts all of that into a great message. Let's listen. Look down from a broken sky Traced out by the city lights My world from a mile high Best seat in the house tonight Touchdown in the cold black top Hold on for the sudden stop Breathing the familiar shock Of confusion and chaos All those people Going somewhere 
Why have I never cared? Give me your eyes for just one second Give me your eyes so I can see Everything that I keep missing Give me your love for humanity Give me your arms for the broken hearted The ones that are far beyond my reach Give me your heart for the ones forgotten Give me your eyes so I can see Yeah 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 Step out on a busy street See a girl in our eyes meet Does her best to smile at me To hide what's underneath There's a man just to right Black suit and a bright red tie Too ashamed to tell his wife He's out of work, he's buying time All those people going somewhere Why have I never cared? Give me your eyes for just one second Give me your eyes so I can see Everything that I keep missing Give me your love for humanity Give me your arms for the broken hearted The ones that are far beyond my reach Give me your heart for the ones forgotten Give me your eyes so I can see Yeah 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 Everything that I keep missing Give me your love for humanity Give me your arms for the broken hearted The ones that are far beyond my reach Give me your heart for the ones forgotten Give me your eyes so I can see Give me your eyes Lord, give me your eyes Jesus does not hesitate. He serves everyone. He's, he's so busy looking around him, not hurried, but busy interacting with the world that is around him. And so many times when you serve, you will be the one blessed, not the one you serve. Certainly they will be blessed, but you will get more blessing in the process. When I lived in Stillwater, I had the pleasure of working with the Special Olympics uh, in Oklahoma. And uh, the state meet happened at Oklahoma State University. Uh, And I remember the first time I went there, I was a little reluctant because I had not interacted with that population before. And I remember standing in line ready to receive a participant, and I saw Alan coming down the line, and I thought, 
I think this one's for you. I'll, I'll wait. I'll go a different time. I'll, I'll wait for someone who looks maybe a little more manageable, a little more talkative. And what happened was is the, the person there in charge said, hey, Tim, this guy is for you. This is Alan. And so Alan and I walked out to the track together, and what happened was an incredible moment together. I'm ashamed of that I wanted to overlook Alan. Alan was funny. He was a blessing to me. He encouraged me. I should have been the one encouraging. He showed me what it looked like to be like Jesus. Jesus serves everyone. He doesn't show partiality or favoritism. And we have so many of you here that serve in what I would say are thankless jobs because you do them week in and week out and no one really knows that, but yet we come in on a Sunday morning, a Wednesday night, and yet things are ready for us as the family of God. I'm thinking about Ed McPherson who comes in after his night shift and makes sure that we have communion prepared. On Thursday, there's a group of guys that come here. This is a multi-purpose room and it needs reset almost every week. Those Guys have developed a a band of brothers, if you will, and they come in here and they reset all the chairs. There is pie afterwards. Maybe that's why they're here. I don't know. (laughs) There are multiple ways that we serve. Our praise team, we have three uh, rotations of our praise team are on stage every Sunday to help us lift our voices to God. Steve Beal, at least once a month, goes out to Mountain Creek to lead a a devotional and singing for those that are shut in out there. And the list goes on and on. You see, Jesus says, the greatest in my world are those who serve. Whenever you serve, too, you, you don't need a selfie shot. It's all about attitude, not just action. It's moving in the direction of how Jesus moved, but it also is a change of your own heart. You see, serving is not what I do. A servant is who I am. When we follow Jesus Christ, that's the mentality that we take in the process. And so whether you're out downtown Dallas working with our homeless population, or you're taking a trip to Kenya to serve the orphans there, or going to Honduras to work with the church, or maybe teaching on a Sunday morning in, in our kids' ministry, or on Wednesday night with our youth group. Wherever you find yourself, you are serving. And mom and dad, I want to challenge you today. It doesn't matter if you've got a small baby at home, if you've got teenagers, if you have adult children who have moved out of your house. As kids, we keep watching our mom and dad, don't we? What are you doing? How are you modeling for me? What should I be doing? And as mom and dad, we've got to model for our kids what it means to look like Jesus. One of the most memorable holiday moments with my boys and Rob and I remember in Kansas City, we, of course, had our own family time at Thanksgiving on Thanksgiving Day. But as a family, we loaded up, went downtown, and served lunch to the homeless. We did that as a family. Our our boys know that God is the number one thing in our life. We want it to be like that. It doesn't always come off like that, but that's how we want them to see us. So mom and dad, think about taking a vacation week and going on that mission trip with your kiddo to help model for them and show them what does it mean to serve the world around us. You and your kids sign up for a service day here at Cross Point or at another location. 
but serve together. Be a part of ministry here at this location, showing them what it means to look like Jesus. Allow your family to feel as though they belong and they matter. They're part of something bigger. They are valued. They are the church. You and I are the hands and feet of Jesus Christ now. Too many times uh, as I'm talking to people, many times it'll come out that I'm a minister, that I'm a pastor, and they'll say, well, we're looking for a new church. The church we were at just didn't meet my needs. We're looking for a church that will meet my needs. There's a newsflash, church. The church is not here to consume. The church is here to serve. We are here for other people. We're here for God's glory, not so I can sit back in a chair and just soak everything up. We exist in the world for the broke, broken, for the, for the hopeless. We're here to serve people by loving them in ways that are deep and meaningful, something the world will not offer. We want to look like Jesus and love people like Jesus. And if Crosspoint is your church, if you claim it as your church home and you're not using your gift sets to serve other people, then you are selling yourself short. Paul said that we're all part of the body of Christ and some of us are feet, some of us are hands, some of us are the eyeball, but collectively we make up the body of Christ. We need each other. We belong to each other. That's what being a part of the church is all about. And if you're going to church, but not serving in church or with the church, then there's something wrong with your discipleship. We're called to be more than the world can offer. We're called to serve and love like Jesus. And when you serve other people, God changes lives. And he starts with you. Your life is changed. You get the thrill of being used and needed. You get to interact on a level that you've never been excited about before. And we serve not for for payback. We want excellence unto the Lord. We want to serve him and lift his name up. You spend the day on yourself and you will be empty the rest of your life. But you spend the day serving God and others, you will feel empowered over Satan and the evil that exists in the world because you've united yourself with the Spirit of God through his Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus says, the greatest in my kingdom are those who serve others. Serving Serving is not what we do. A servant is who I am. We're called to love on this world like Jesus loved on this world. To don the apron, to get the water bucket, to do whatever is necessary to let others see the love of Christ through you. That's the call this morning. I'm going to invite Brad and the praise team back to the stage at this time. and We're going to have an extended period of singing Uh, several songs in a row and this is an opportunity I've already seen it happening this morning people using the wash foot washing stations to show honor and respect and love to those around us but it doesn't have to end there open up your hearts and your lives to those that you come in touch with be Jesus serve those around you because the greatest in his kingdom are those who serve others
Our shepherds and their wives will be along the wall of this room as we sing these songs. And if you've got a prayer need, if you've got something going on in your life that's, that's kind of inhibiting you from being the person God's called you and created you to be, I want to encourage you to go see one of our shepherds and let them pray for you and with you. That that barrier would be removed and so that you can advance and be everything that God created you to be. Let's praise God together as we stand and we sing.